what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And today on the show via Skype, we have Mr. Josh Moran. Hey, guys. What's going on? <laughs> hey, <laughs> buddy. How you did doing? Did you insert that pause so people really knew it was international? So that, you know, old school when you're talking to your nana on the phone. <laughs> yeah. There's a delay. It's like that Family Guy episode that I keep playing where yeah, he's speak, yeah. trying to speak to his great aunt. Yeah, exactly. So Josh is joining us today. Josh, most people would know, is a veteran to the Australian dog culture. Uh, you've been here twice already? Is that right? Twice. Yeah, man. I've been lucky enough to come down a couple times and uh, enjoy the hell out of it each time. Yeah. And you've been all the way up the East Coast, right? You've done Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, both times. He's seen more of Australia than most Australians have, which yeah. is ironic. <laughs> it's often the case as well, which is the stupid thing, but yeah, it happens. It's probably not that uh, different from a lot of people in the States, to be honest, because, uh, I mean, there's more of us here, but generally speaking, our countries are about the same size. Yeah, which is crazy, right? We just have this yeah. big empty spot in the middle that we like the uninhabitable zone. <laughs> yeah, so do we. It's called the flyover states. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But people live in them. Which so, is called Western Australia. I've just flown over it all my life and never actually been there. Oh, really? Yeah, never. Well, I've been there. That's I where I got raped by a dolphin. Yeah. Check back Ooh. that episode. That's an old story. <laughs> so, Josh, you're a veteran of Australia. You've been out here numerous times and you're coming out again soon in August, this time with Forrest Mickey. Yeah, man. It's, it's going to be a good time. I'm really looking forward to it. How's that come to be? Uh, well, it's the first time we're ever going to present together. Yeah, I don't want to speak too much for Forrest. But I think a large part of it was just how handsome I am, and it's hard to hard yeah. to deny me. Um, <laughs> but really, uh, he and I had spent a bunch of time together out at Learburg. We had spent a bunch of time together in Wisconsin, just hanging out. I've went out to see him and just kind of visit uh, a few different times, and we get along really well. And I think ultimately. Uh, when I say I don't want to speak too much for him, he's taken a bit of a hiatus in dog training for mm -hmm. various reasons. You know, he's always been involved in one manner or another, but I think he wanted some time to himself to figure out exactly where he saw himself in the big picture of, of dog training culture, I think. And, you know, obviously he had a bunch of things going on with that, making his D-Town hoodies and mm -hmm. those types of things, et cetera. But he and I talked a few times just shared our, our feelings on dog training and had a few times where we got to hang out, just talk dogs and share philosophies on different aspects of life. And one day just said, yeah, we should do something together. And, and now what so happened? You're coming to Australia doing? together. So yeah. I guess we're a little bit familiar. You and Glenn are old buddies from way back. We've, we know each other pretty well. Just give us the, the five to 10 minute version of Josh Moran. How'd you get into the industry? And how is it that you came to be a guy that we think it's worth listening to here in Australia? 
Well, I don't really know too much about the second part, but as far as how, <laughs> how I got into dog training, to be perfectly honest, so I'm the oldest of seven. I have three brothers and three sisters, kind of a, come from a chaotic lifestyle. One of my brothers found a dog wandering the streets, real big pity. It's like 80 pounds. Dude looked cut. You know, there's tons of pictures of me and this dog from years and years ago. Mm-hmm. I had grown up with dogs, but this dog was the dog that kind of showed me I didn't know seemingly anything about dog training. And I had tried and attempted to do with this particular dog that had worked on my family's dogs and some farmer's dogs that I lived near. Just he took a big steaming shit right on top of Um, (laughs) just really like showed me how ineffective I could possibly be. But I got my hands on this dog because my brother – and the dog were both belligerent degenerates. Um, <laughs> uh, just ridiculous creatures, both of them. So I took the dog and you know brought him home to visit my lady, Jess. And she quickly said, either he's getting trained or you're both getting getting out of here. Because he was just a savage man. He, if he wanted to get into a room, he'd attack the doorknob and crunch it up like a pop can. Just rip him off, smash through stuff. He was just, he was brutal to be around. So awesome. Uh, he was awesome. You know, dog changed my life. So I called around a few different places. Uh, he couldn't really be around dogs. He was, he was pretty, pretty tuned up about other male dogs specifically, Mm -hmm. but never barked at the end of the leash, never lunged. Homeboy never stopped wagging his tail. He would just get nice and close and then do damage. Mm -hmm. Um, so I got a hold of a guy in my, my area who's a dog trainer. His name's Tyler Muto. Left him a message on his voicemail just basically saying, if nothing else, I would really appreciate it if this dog would respond to his own effing name. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Tyler would play that message back sometimes in the future, just laughing about it when I was, you know, still working for him. Yeah. So Tyler came out. I did three sessions with him. And it was pretty shortly after that I had decided this is something I think I can do. Uh, it resonated with me really well and just kind of sparked off a lot of passion about about the craft. So I pestered the living hell out of Tyler. Emails, phone calls, that type of stuff, relentlessly. You know, um, like stalker-esque. I used to go to his house, actually, and would shovel his driveway. And uh, and play video could, games and smoke pot. He already told us he's he blew, oh, yeah. he blew he the whistle put on you. Yeah. In the shit. Yeah, yeah, he yeah for sure. You. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, <laughs> percent. That, that is basically how I forced myself onto him. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't mind the cold. He's not a huge fan. I'd go shovel his driveway, and then when I had him there, I could kind of like force him to answer my questions, or at least we'd kind of come up with an idea about how we were going to steer ourselves in that direction. Uh-huh. And uh, it got to the point where you know it was it was pretty pretty obvious if he was going to hire somebody, it was going to be me. Mm-hmm. So from then on, just voracious appetite for information, other trainers, you know, it was when I first got into dog training, there wasn't something like the balance symposium. There wasn't something like, at least that I knew if there weren't these groups on Facebook where you could show videos and share information and people were like happy to give you these free little tidbits and helpful hints about how to progress as a dog trainer we got a lot of hate in our area you mm-hmm. know, we got a lot of hate from other dog trainers and we were kind of treated like the, uh, I don't know, black sheep or whatever, but it just forced us to have to really double down on, 
on our commitment. We traveled a lot to go to seminars and got some opportunities to work with some world-class trainers. And, you know, it's just kind of been on that path ever since. It's pretty amazing. I think about that a lot. Like I only started in dogs in sort of 2011 and even that's not that long ago. Right. But even then there was Facebook wasn't the way it is now and forums didn't really work Mm. the way they do now that the free information, information sharing, like you just had to exactly like you say, you just had to find a local car and go, go down and actually drive down to visit somebody to get your dog out. and And if that guy was fucking shit, you didn't have, you only knew what you knew. Yeah. You only could learn from that guy. Like that's Mm. where, like, you know, along my journey, I experienced a couple of people that you're like, well, you're the guy I'm paying you. You must know these things. Yes. And then before too long, you go, Oh, I don't think you do, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but you have to go through that and figure it out. It's not like you can see immediately and go, well, I'm seeing videos. I'm seeing people putting stuff out for free, doing this stuff that is totally different. And that's only a short while, right? Like that whole, the whole landscape has changed so much in the short period I've been in dogs. Oh, the, Um, the internet's a marvel of creation. It certainly made us all better arguers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But at the minimum, it, Certainly the biggest positive, I think, is exactly as Josh was just sort of saying then, like there's so much free stuff out there that even if it's not enough to get you and your dog over the line, it's enough to see it's what's creating capable. better information for yeah, sure. And what's mm. capable. So you can yep. just look at someone and go, hey, mm, I don't know that this you're the right person. I don't know what who the right person is, but I know that this isn't it. And I think you're pretty lucky, man, to come across Tyler as the, the person that you called and wanted to teach you to tell your dog his name. Absolutely, man. Yeah, without a doubt, you know. There is absolutely no kind of parallel, definitely not in my area that I I could have reached out to Mm -hmm. at that time. You know, I had the benefit of, uh, you know, just to a certain degree, like, you know, I don't want to say force, but definitely convinced him to keep me around. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I don't want to say force too much. Like I've made him my friend, but, but I'm pretty, (laughs) you know, um, I'm, I'm a super, super persistent person. And, you know, if I want to do something, it becomes an obsession. And when I decided I wanted to train dogs, it wasn't, I don't often like hearing, oh, you're not allowed to do that, or you can't do that, or Mm -hmm. any version of that. I don't necessarily take it as a personal challenge. I just tend to dismiss some of that information, Mm -hmm. uh, which has definitely got me in trouble in the past, but uh, it's also led me down the path I'm on now. And, you know, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Yeah, that's awesome. And so you start working for Tyler. You were like dog training buddies adventuring through the, the world together. Yep. And then you did, like the first I saw of you, sort of how you became internationals, you did a video series for Learberg, right? So how, yeah, did, yeah, so how did that come to be? To be perfectly honest, I got a, a Facebook message from Forrest Mickey that I, I did not even respond to for like a month. Uh, <laughs> and, and so people who know me now, like, no, that's, that's probably not super abnormal, but to be honest, I thought, uh, I thought it was like a joke or I thought like somebody was fucking with me or that was like spam or something. I just didn't, didn't really take it seriously. Uh-huh. So I just totally kind of ignored it. Did you know then, Forrest at that stage? Were you and him buddies or was it just a, nope. a no, reach I had out? never yeah, I had never met him before at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew who he was, but I we had never met. And so he sent me a Facebook message saying something to the extent of like, hey, man, I'd like to pick your brain about doing some videos. Let me know what you think. And, you know, uh, I just didn't respond at all. You know, I just kind of took it as this is probably some sort of fuckery and I'll, I'll ignore <laughs> it and go about my day. <laughs> uh, and then it was, you know, maybe like a month after – 
he sent me that initial message. Like he sent me another one was like, Hey man, seriously, would like to talk. Here's my phone number. So, um, yeah, I just gave him a call. We spent like 40 minutes on the phone, just kind of like joking around, talking nonsense about dogs and, you know, kind of what our perspective was on certain aspects of dog training. And it came to light that he was looking for somebody to do a series slanted towards small dogs. Mm -hmm. And he had seen a bunch of the videos that I had put up of my small Patterdale. I mean, small Patterdale is kind of a oxymoron, I feel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're all kind of small. But, um, you know, he had seen those videos and wanted me to do some stuff for Learberg. So uh, that was how I got in with Learberg, essentially. Was Forrest was essentially their, like, talent acquisition specialist or whatever and just reached out and wanted me to do something with them. That's awesome. And that video series was, is the theory of small dogmanship? Was that what it was called? Yeah, it's had a couple different names and we kind of monkeyed around with the names at first. Uh, you know, I think at first it was called something like small dogmanship. And then I believe now it's just on the website as obedience for small dogs, which I, I personally like better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you're otherwise known as the barefoot dog trainer. I mean, yeah. Obviously, because you don't like wearing shoes. <laughs> Agreed. Yes. Yeah, that's a big part of it for sure. Let's, um, let's talk about the name a little bit. Like, how did you nominate yourself as the barefoot dog trainer, or did someone just come up with that as a? a uh, yeah, bit of no, a label? that wasn't self self imposed or anything. I took it on Instagram because when I first joined Instagram, I was like, well, like, what a what am I going to call myself? I'm not always a huge fan of just putting my actual name on stuff like that mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Um, but barefoot dog trainer was a not taken. Uh, B somebody had been calling me that. I believe it was Tyler who first called me that. Tyler and then this girl Amber we worked with a lot because specifically in the summertime I would go very long stretches of not wearing shoes while I trained dogs and you know it just kind of stuck. And then once it became Instagram, it's you know that's how a ton of people kind of knew me. Yeah, you know, yeah, I've had people see me out at a bar like, oh, you're the barefoot dog trainer. Like, yep. I'm Josh. Nice and to just meet you. demand to take your shoes off right there. Take them off. Like, yeah, I, I, some people not, do that. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> it, it's funny how people get their names. I mean, my nickname from all my life has been Cookie, basically based on my last name. Mm-hmm. And Pat's is now Dolphin Fucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, I uh, didn't fuck the dolphin. <laughs> the, dolphin. <laughs> the dolphin fucked me. <laughs> oh, memories. Semantics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> so moving on from there. Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, it wasn't something that uh, I had thought real deeply about. Just somebody had kind of tossed the moniker at me. Didn't but, bother me or anything. So I just kind of stuck with it and, and, and went. And, you know, now it's one of those things where it's been on my Instagram for so long that it's it probably caused more of a headache for me to try and change it. Yeah. You couldn't shake it if you tried, I reckon. Yeah. But there so, are a lot of people that see me with shoes. They're like, hey, what the hell is this? It's like, yeah. well, dude, I, don't, I know I don't you're, you're sort of destroying your whole uh, image. It's a marketing yeah. nightmare. Not to mention where I live seven months out of the year. If you go outside without shoes, you're going to get fucking frostbite. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not, not going to work Well, I guess you have to just amend your work schedule. You can't train dogs during exactly. that time. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. fair enough. Keep it flat. Travel overseas when you can. Although it's going to be, you're leaving your summer to come here to our winter. Yeah, but your winter is a joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, uh, yeah, it's I'm, actually I'm totally um, blue skies and sunshine at the moment, and you could probably get away with wearing. It's cold, like it's nippy, but you could get away with wearing a t-shirt. Oh yeah, yeah, last time, not last time, but I think 
the first time I came to Australia, a lot of people joked that they could immediately tell I was not from there because I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt while other people were wearing jumpers and nonsense like that. But, you know, it's just different. That's you. Different temperate zones, yeah. <laughs> so you, when you started out in dogs and sort of last time, well, no, I remember the first time I saw you here, you, you very clearly said at the start of your presentation that you'd been around some sport dogs, but you uh, considered yourself a pet dog guy and that was what you were focusing on. Yep. However, just as we were, as Glenn was firing up the, the computer here, you dropped the bomb that you now have yourself a, a Dutch Shepherd. Hell yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Nazgul. Nazgul. Yeah, yeah, well, Nazgul is his name. It's named after the Ringwraiths in Lord of the Rings. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. <laughs> was that his original name or did you just rename him? No, that was his name. I believe he came out of an N litter and somebody just threw Nazgul at him, which I think is a dope name, so yeah, I'm going to cool. keep it. How do you go yelling at when you're angry, though? Nas. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm <laughs> <laughs> Nas is fine by me. It was yeah. either going to be Nas or Ghoul. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I always, like, that's a key component when I'm naming a dog. Like, how am I going to yell this when I'm angry? And and am I prepared to yell this in, in a public space? Sweet, precious, tiny <laughs> yeah. little baby Remco. Yeah, so that's it. Well, I went for sweet, precious, tiny little baby Remco. That's, that's, <laughs> it doesn't seem half as bad when you yell it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so tell us the story. How would that come to be? Where where's he come from? So I don't have, like, a, a huge, diverse history on this dog. I can tell you that he came out of... California. He was given or bought by a friend of mine who was growing on a nice big farm in the hills of California. Mm -hmm. And so Nazgul just kind of roamed the farm, guarded all the weed plants. Mm -hmm. And then my friend moved back to Buffalo from California and brought his dogs with him. And instead of living on a farm where the dog just kind of, you know, roamed and did training and kind of minded his own business. He now lived in an apartment with three roommates and therefore three roommates worth of guests, and contractors mm -hmm. and whatnot. But Nazgul is a very, very sharp dog. And so he was just biting people indiscriminately. Um, you know, people would walk in the house. Oh, I forgot my sunglasses. And well, too fucking bad for you. because <laughs> <laughs> Now Naz is really upset. How old is he? Nas is going to be four in October. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So he's set in his ways. And he's very, from the videos that I've been watching on your social media, he's quite dog friendly. He seems to get along with your dogs quite well. He's amazingly social with dogs. Mm. And to be perfectly honest, he's really, really social with people. But there's a certain amount of- There's a line. Yeah. If you leave, you have to be let back in. Mm -hmm. If you let yourself in- he doesn't seem to find that to be acceptable. I don't um, see that as such a bad thing, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I definitely don't. Uh, Jessica certainly doesn't, mm. um, you know, because I'm going to be coming down to Australia for a few weeks and she'll be walking dogs all by herself. You know? So, you know, for her, having a dog like Nas makes life a little bit easier. But I think a, a great deal of Nas's difficulty came from that transition from yeah. live on a farm to live in this apartment with a ton of guests totally different type of chaotic lifestyle. And I just don't think he was suited for it. You yeah. know, I don't have that many people coming in and out of my property. If they do, they're coming with me and he's totally cool. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. And they probably was encouraged and maybe even selected for that zone aggression. If he was guarding a farm, then 
that for sure perfect perfect scenario that you have a dog exactly like that 100 percent. yeah I, I couldn't agree more so you've been doing some work with him that uh, was going to be my next question good good question yeah yeah you're building him up to doing bite sports what's the plan yeah absolutely you know i've i've really been interested in bite sports for a long time but i wasn't in a position that i felt i could do good service to a dog like that until you know now mm-hmm. i lost the dog in January, super close to me, uh, King, actually the dog that my brother found on the side of the road. And Nazgul just happened to essentially come around at a time that I had two dogs. I felt like I could commit to him, and he's he's a good fit for our house. Before we took him on, you know, if my friend Chris had left town, he's going out of, on a vacation, whatever, Naz would come and stay at our house anyway. So he was here all the time. Mm-hmm. So he just really fit in like a puzzle. It was very nice. So I've been trying to work on some of the things I think he really lacks. Outing was a big one. He's not a huge fan of that. So he's been making some big strides with outing. Um, But also just a lot of his environmental sensitivity I've been trying to focus on. One of my big complaints about Buffalo is there's no real ring sport clubs. Okay. Not that ring sport is everything, but it's basically IPO and Schutzen or – you know, agility and rally obedience. Mm-hmm. Those those things don't always draw me in as much. I don't have anything against them as sports. I think they make a lot of very nice dogs for those types of sports, but I don't necessarily find it to be engaging mentally for myself. Mm-hmm. So my issue is if I want to go to a ring sport club, I got to travel roughly three hours. So I've been trying to get some things in the work in Buffalo to, to get our own club. I was supposed to go out for my Mondio ring certification earlier this year, but I had a cracked tooth that was causing me some great discomfort. And so I didn't want to be catching dogs mm. with a busted tooth. So next time it is. But yeah, man, I've been working on a lot of his obedience, cleaning up some of the more kind of wishy-washy areas of his understanding. You know, his heel was getting a little sloppy. His out was definitely really sloppy and something he had a lot of conflict in. So we've just been spending a lot of time making sure he finds the game to be productive for him mm-hmm. doing what I want to do. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the big one with the out, right? Dog just finds his advantage and you've got to show him give up something to, to get something. It's Randy's Achilles heel as well. It's like he just... <laughs> I mean, when we're in training, he's he's as good as gold. Well, I wouldn't say he's as good as gold. He can be very, very clean at times. And there's other times where it gets a little edgy for him and he just thinks, nah, this is too much fun now. Like, mm. I'm, th- this fight's a little bit more real. It's it's getting quite exciting, a little bit more intense. And the more intense it is, it creates a little bit more stress in the, in the dog. But, I mean, certain dogs like it too. They actually, it, it, it engages them more. It's more exciting, more real. Yeah. It's a tricky I, I, one. Mm. Yeah, like especially if you have a dog as a puppy, I find that teaching it out is very easy because you can condition it and make it a reflex response. But with an adult dog that has had a lot of, you know, high drive sort of uh, free bite work, just water, water scheming into the bite and, and get it for, for free, it's hard to convince that dog that you can give him something better by, yeah. by giving up the thing that he, he just worked that hard the, to get. The reflex response way is definitely a better way to train it. I yeah. mean, if you've got a young dog and a young puppy – I, I can't see a, at this point in time a better way to, to condition it in the dog than, yeah, than to for train sure. like that. Yeah, for sure. So Mondio is kind of where you're headed with him, right? Mondio is something I definitely enjoy and I I would like to do it. There's no clubs 
in near me. So, I mean, the closest one to me is a club run by a guy named Todd Dunlap down in Pennsylvania, and that's about three hours away. Mm-hmm. There's a French ring sport club over in Syracuse, just three hours away. There's another French ring sport club in Cleveland, just three hours away. You know, so it's like every every time I'm I'm looking to get myself into a club, it it's hard to be consistent when you have to drive three hours. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is which is funny because I think he just used it as an example, like an arbitrary number. But I went to Belgium this past Febu- February and I flew into Brussels, rented a car, and Jess and I drove up to Antwerp to visit our friend Bart. Mm-hmm. Got to hang out with Bart at his club for the day, shoot the shit, watch them train and kind of hang out, see how they run things, drank a couple beers afterwards. And then he said, well, let's uh, go to my house. We'll have a coffee and then we'll get something to eat. So I thought we were going to get in the car and go somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, yeah, no, no, no. I live there. And it's pointed to the house <laughs> directly next to the field, right? Yeah. And I was like, man, this is – that's the business. That's what I want to do. Yeah. And he said, yes. If your club is three hours away, you never go. I was like, well, fuck, man. Like, <laughs> you're completely <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and it allows for a, a style of training where in that bite work you can use like a negative punishment because we can come back in an hour. You know, like it, you can actually say, Bart has a, a trick in his playbook where he'll force a dog to take food in the presence of a, a decoy that's really agitating him. And if the dog doesn't mm-hmm. take food, he doesn't get the food and he doesn't get the decoy. And when you explain that to people and you go, yeah, so like, but I only get access to a decoy for an hour once every month. I ain't given up the opportunity to bite that decoy. And it's like, well, when you live next door to the field and have a decoy that comes there as often as you need to, that it allows for a very different style of training. That's for sure. Mm, absolutely. So I'm just really super interested in it. So you have been working with Forrest a little bit with this, this dog or is that how you guys have sort of linked up again? What's happened? Nope. Uh, I got this dog probably two and a half, three weeks ago. Oh, wow. Okay. I had him long. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've just been, you know, really trying to feel out my relationship with this dog and see what I think he has some shortcomings in. You know, the out is a big one, and, mm-hmm. and I think he's just had a ton of conflict around it. Yeah. He's the type of dog that even with a ball, not, not fighting a decoy or anything like that, you tell him to out. And the first thing he wanted to do was start thrashing the toy mm-hmm. while getting further away from you, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you tell him out, he starts shaking his head and running to the other side of the room. It's like, mm-hmm. aha, Okay. I see we have to work on that. Um, he doesn't transfer toys very well. So like if you have, if he has a toy and you bring out another one, he just it, at first did not at all concern himself. Like you play with that one. I've got this one. See yeah. you later. Yeah. So those are some of the things I've been trying to work on him with. And then as far as working with Forrest, unfortunately, no, you know, I haven't had a ton of time to work with Forrest. It's something that I think, Later on this year, I'm going to be making a trip out to where he's staying at in Oregon Mm -hmm. and spend a bunch of time with him. And then, you know, I'll be able to get more time in the suit and work with Nazgul in that capacity quite a bit more. Yeah, awesome. you know, right now we're on like opposite ends of the country, really. Yeah, right. Okay. There was a good photo of you and Forrest and a couple of other guys. I think it was last year where I think you were doing a decoy camp or just hanging out as mates and doing a bit of Mondio. Uh, What was all that about? So Chad Hunter actually put on a French ring decoy seminar at Learberg's facility. And my friend Dave and I drove out. Dave Putman. And, uh, yeah, yeah. We drove out there, spent 
a couple days before the seminar hanging out with Forrest, our friends Ryan and Carter, who are, are big into Mondio and French Ring, caught a bunch of dogs, did a lot of bite work. You know, I got a lot of preliminary training as far as how to catch dogs safely in things that I should be looking for in those sports. And um, then did a couple days with, with Chad and his friend Justin Gannon, who was running the decoy seminar. So we just spent a week out there just catching dogs, drinking beers, hanging out, kind of living life as it should be. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like a dream. Yeah. Yeah. That's an awesome day in the office. Hell yeah. Yeah, no, it was excellent. Do you find now sort of pushing into that sort of area and with the core business being pets day to day, so like that's sort of the position I'm in, right? Like most of my my income is from pets. I find having a, a sport dog of my own sort of keeps a passion alive. Uh, it allows you to sort of focus that like, you know, focus on precision and that sort of thing where your average client isn't that interested in that. And it allows you to, I find that it separates what I, like it separates work from play. When You're not you eating it. chicken and broccoli every day. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Right. Do you, are you finding that with this dog or with your, your focus, like your interest in Mondio now as it keeps your, 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 your hobby keeps your work passionate? Yeah, man, I think this is something I've thought. I, I think about regularly and I think in our, I say in our profession because I really don't have much experience with professions outside of dog training anymore, <laughs> but I see there's a lot of burnout in yeah. dog trainers. Yeah. And part of that I think is because when you get into dog training, you get into dog training with a mentality that I don't necessarily think is easy to sustain without being conscious of it long term, right? So like, I want to help these people. I want to work with dogs. I want to, you know, kind of deepen my understanding of these animals. But most people who are going to contact you to help you buy food don't care about the stuff that you're impassioned about. Yeah. They need their dog to stop doing A, B, or C yesterday. Yeah. And I found there was a, a point in my career that I would leave work and come home and not have any interest in training my own dogs mm -hmm. because I had spent the whole day just, you know, kind of grinding myself. Yeah. So, yeah, I think this dog really has done a good job helping, you know, keep my passion alive. I don't think my passion ever died, but I think it definitely augmented and went in different directions. So you haven't That's experienced any stage of burnout yet? Oh, for sure I have. Yeah, absolutely. How did um, you cope with it? Tell me about that because I'm interested in – it's an interesting topic that Pat just brought up with the whole burnout stage because it's something – I've experienced it myself. I had to leave for two years solid just to get away from it entirely. Like I pretty much changed my phone number and just left because I just couldn't cope with – the questions and the the monotony of it anymore. It just sort of really got under my skin. So yeah, tell me about your experience. And I'd also like to hear about yours as well, Pat. Sure. So um, my experience, I think was somewhat unique. I was working for somebody else at the time. I was outside of the person who owned the company, by far the person with the most experience training dogs. And at a certain time, it felt like I was punching a clock. I was coming in, I was going to like fix all my widgets, I was going to punch out, and I was going to go home. And it it wasn't something that sat well with me. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I stopped working there, 
I basically just refused to take any clients that seemed to be a pain in my ass. I only did stuff that I thought was interesting and fun. And that kind of lent, lent itself to reinventing what I loved about dog training. You know, so I've had this small dog, this Patterdale for five years. Uh, but I got to go out in the field and hunt with her a bunch of times and, you know, kind of like see her really hit those peak levels of what she was kind of bred for and what she loves to do simultaneously converging into, you know, just killing animals in the field. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, we just that lost was all a be- the passionate greenies and <laughs> all the rodent lovers, all the vegans. but to be honest I think it's something that really pushed me more to focusing on trick training and a lot of free shaping a lot of capturing spontaneous behaviors Mm. getting more towards some of the sport dog stuff you know uh, I I don't have a club so a lot of the stuff that I do I just kind of do on my own which I think is both good and bad I think that um, I think that point you just mentioned reinvention is actually a healthy way to progress forward when you start getting into that mindset that I'm over it, I can't do this one more day. Because it's quite funny, Josh, that uh, I see a lot when, when we're doing the NDTF and the students are coming through, I see a lot of students, they're so bright-eyed, like their eyes are like saucepans, they're so excited about the potential, which is great. And there is a lot of potential, don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. everything becomes a job when you're doing the same thing over and over. You know, once the, yeah. once the veil sort of lifts on everything, I mean, I see young people that want to go over to Africa to help with the rhinoceroses and so forth. They want to do good work. But the reality is, is that a lot of times these charities are relying on free labor for people to go over and scoop shit and stuff like that. And don't, and I don't want to take away any of the magic of the experience because some people really enjoy what they do and they love it. They come back feeling changed and inspired, but you go over there long enough and you're scooping shit every day out of a pen the magic sort of goes away. You just realize, hey, I'm doing a job. Like I have to get up and, you know, get a shovel and put my gumboots on and go out to a pen and scoop shit into a bin. And it, do- yeah. it doesn't become so exciting anymore. But reinvention and variation are key to feeling inspired and passionate about it again. Like falling in love with it all over again is a is a fantastic thing. A hundred percent, man. I, I, I couldn't... Couldn't really say it much better than that. You know, I, I kind of like that visual, man. At, at a certain point, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of shit you're shoveling. It's all shit at the, at the end of the day. <laughs> you know, rhinos are not. Yeah, no. Um, I think for a lot of folks, it's something that's talked about, but I don't necessarily know there's an easy answer as to how to fix that burnout. And I don't necessarily think there should be an easy answer. I think you should have to work for it. I think you should, if it's something you're going to stick out that that you'll have to find a way to make it work. And if that's starting to to dive head over heels into scent detection, then do that. Mm. If you're going to herding, do that. If you're going to do sport work, do that. But find something that challenges you and and something that I struggled with personally is the Potential to kind <laughs> what of is that noise in the background? That is my dog who is making masturbating. Weird yeah, basically. No, she's asleep, just making weird noises. Okay. <laughs> she's asleep doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, she's kicking her feet and oh, she's chirping. she's doing the dog dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Mm. So yeah, man, I I don't know if there's there's an easy answer. I, I think you just got to work for it and and find something it, that's going to help. 
it's very it up. it's variation um i mean look yeah when i got that burnout i couldn't believe that something that i loved so deeply was something that i i almost got to the stage of completely despising it and it's <laughs> not that i despise being around dogs i actually love it i really enjoyed it i mean you've been here you've every time you've come to australia you've stayed at my place and my backyard is full of dogs yeah i've got you know there's currently like 100 dogs in the kennels out the backyard at the moment so I'm around dogs all the time. I, I mean, I have to get up in the middle of the night and assist dogs that are barking and yelping, and I don't really mind it. It's 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 not really a problem. It was more the people. The people were just sucking the life out of me. And, sure. And now, to be honest, I'm in the good – I have the good fortune of being choosy about the clientele I take on. Like, I take on interesting cases. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that general obedience isn't interesting. I mean, for, for, for clients who are – going through that problem with their dogs. Everybody's issue is unique and interesting and exciting or terrifying to them, and I get that. But I like taking on things that I find hard and challenging. So if I'm doing dog work now, you know, PSA was exciting to me because it was something I didn't know was a little intimidating and a little strange and different, and it was kind of really good fun to get into. But the other stuff that I love, I love doing behaviour, I love doing aggression, those Mm -hmm. type of things – they're very challenging and very difficult. So, for me, it's it, I'm, I do have the luxury of, of picking the work that I take. Absolutely. And <laughs> I think, you know, once you can kind of choose what work you're going to take, that lets you really only kind of like hone your focus on, on what you are passionate about. And, that, you know, before my dog started making weird noises, I think one of, one of the things I was going to say that I, I, I know personally for me has over the years been somewhat difficult is – Dog training, you get a certain amount of uh, like a name, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to Australia to like help other people with their dogs and, and teach a little bit, which I'm still always crazy humble and, and excited that I get the opportunity to do it. But there's a lot of people who will then look at me like, ah, he's an expert. But then I go into a realm like scent detection where I have very little experience and I'm not an expert. I'm basically an imbecile. Like I understand how dogs find scent. So I thought, (laughs) and then (laughs) you start doing scent detection. It's like, no dummy, you don't understand anything about this. And I think it's sometimes tough to, to take off that mantle of, you know, Hey, I know something about this and then be put into a position where, nah, man, you're, you're just low level peon man. you don't, you don't know that much. So I, th- I think that's important though. And I don't, I don't necessarily care if it's with dogs or fly fishing or, you know, starting jujitsu. You know, I know Brentos is, is just getting into that, but that's, that's like a forcibly humbling experience. Mm, yeah. You're brand new, man. You don't know anything. I think that's important. Yeah, it is important. And I mean, I've been caught out on bullshitting in that area before when I was a young guy. I didn't want to show the cracks that I didn't know certain things about other forms of training. However, the important thing is to, when you don't know, go to people and say, I don't know, I'm keen to be taught. Rather that, you know, I think it was Rallyo or something like that, that people were asking me about it. And you could pretty much see that I was calling, I was just playing a bullshit game at that point in time because <laughs> I knew nothing about it. I didn't know how to teach it. I'd never been involved in it. I didn't even really know what it was. But somebody was speaking to me at on a, on a forum and they were saying, oh, yeah, this, that and the other. And I just, in the end, I just realized, hey, I'm living a lie here. I'm just going to come clean and say, hey, I don't know anything about it. And it was, <laughs> a, it was a 
humbling but also an embarrassing moment. But these days where if I don't know anything, I, I find the best person I know to be able to teach it to me, to say, hey, um, I've got no clue on this. Like if you came to me and said I need to, to learn competitive agility, I'm not your man. I'm, I'm not the guy to, to work on. I can teach you tactical agility. I know a lot about that and I've done it with dogs and, and so forth. But as far as competition-ready agility, like Susan Garrett and so, some of those people do, no clue and wouldn't even try. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I kind Absolutely. of – I live in constant fear of making a fool of myself or representing myself as a fraud. So the things I do know about, I – I'm obsessed with continuing to research and, and learning more because I'm always worried that if there's a topic with a hundred things to know, and I know 80 of them, I am constantly terrified someone's going to ask me about one of the, <laughs> the 20, 20 I don't know. Right? Like <laughs> yeah. I, and so I'm constantly trying to push forward to that. But as a result, I always, always like, you know, I was just teaching some grip stuff on the weekend. I always preface everything saying, this is how I think to do it. This is not the way, it's the way that I've, I do it. And this certainly, I didn't invent any of this shit. This is my interpretation and regurgitation of stuff that other people have shown me. And I, I yeah, that's for me as a dog trainer, like that's what keeps me learning more is because I'm constantly terrified of, of looking fucking stupid in front of people. <laughs> but that's decent as a human as well. I mean, if people come to you and you profess to know something that you don't, then you're, you're basically peddling snake oil. Yeah. You know, the person that basically comes says to you, I'm the one-stop shop. I mean, I think that that's a person that you sincerely need to walk away from. Yeah, and in and do- and dogs, that's just not possible. This no, it's is, not. It is impossible to know. Like, like I watch, you know, herding dogs and I – don't have a fucking clue. When I'm watching people train them, yeah. I don't even know what I'm looking at. You know, and you think it's like- It's another oh, yeah. language in dogs. Yeah. Yeah. I know yeah. dogs. Don't yeah. tell me dogs, right? And yeah, then you turn up language. and you go, oh, fuck, I don't know anything. I'm, I, like I, I literally don't- I'm watching a session and I don't even know what their criteria of that session is. And mm. they'll put the dog up and go, oh, that went really well. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand what I just saw, right? But then like I always put that out there to people. I'm always like, hey, this is, you know- this is my interpretation. This is what I know. But then that's what keeps me pushing forward is I'm constantly in fear that someone's going to ask me because there's lots of things I think I do know a lot about. Right. But I also know that there's plenty of things even on those topics that I don't know about. And that's what keeps me going to as many events as I possibly can. And, and, and just constantly trying to get better because I'm terrified that someone's going to go, Hey, what do you think about this? And it's in my field. And I go, I don't know. Like that is, and I'm willing to do that, but I just, it makes me sick at the thought of it. I remember, sorry, Josh, I'm not hijacking no, no, your no, conference, but I, I just remember, I remember as a young guy when I was caught out on bullshitting a client once, my old mate Boyd came to me when I was working for him and I was only a young guy at the time. I was in my early 20s and he said, mate, that probably the best thing to do in these sort of situations is come to terms with you don't know, tell them that you don't know and that you'll find out and get back to them. Mm. And I, I took that on board as one of the most valuable pieces of information, not just in dog training, it's another one of those life yeah. skills that people aspire to be a better person. If you don't know, just say, hey, I'm not really sure, but I can check with some people. I've got some contacts who are pretty good in that and uh, I can either put you in touch with them or get the information for you if it's important to you. Mm. I think that type of thing is more and more going to happen to people whether they like it or not. You're either going to come out and say, oh, I actually have no idea uh, how to do that. Let's go find out. Or you're going to be exposed against your will. 
But it's yeah. kind of you a cool see- thing, really, because you can. It, it's exciting to learn something in addition to what you already know. It can be a great thing. A hundred percent. Oh, dude, I, I think that's, you know, probably what we're all talking about here is, you know, Pat's talking about the fear of asking that 20%, but how do you know what that 20% is if you're not constantly taking inventory of, of kind of like what's going on in, in that world? Yeah, exactly. And, so I, I think you're only ever going to know what you don't know by asking some more of those questions. Yeah. And, this is, a, and this is the important of seminars like you and Forrest and many of the other guys that have come out here over time. I think that's inspiring for all of us because, you know, there's areas that you're passionate in, there's areas that Forrest is passionate in, there's areas that Tyler's passionate and, and Chad and Jay and Mike Suttle and I can just reel off names of people that have come over here and you just think, wow, you know, there's, there's information that they've gone off in their own pilgrimage. They've grabbed hold of it and they're really, really excited. They're really passionate about it. And that's part of their mantra of training now. They've come back, they've collated it, and then you can see it and go, that's actually something I'm missing in my training repertoire. It's something that I can now grasp hold of and say, I know a little bit about that now. I've, I've had a, some updated information and it's cool. It's really cool. I was really lucky. I've have been really lucky in both my careers, first in the army and then in dogs, that I uh, have just fallen under some really good mentors. I've been really lucky that things have just lined up for me and I've had people help me along the way. Mm. And I had in the army, I did a posting to a training establishment, um, which was sort of a career move for a career that then after I broke my back I had to stop. But uh, my CSM there, a guy called Griffo, was one of the most influential people in my army career ever. And then he was my CSM for a long time. Usually that only happens for two years, but we changed units together and went back. And so it was a long time. But he told me one day something very important that I think about all the time. He said, if you find that you are the smartest person in the room, leave the room. Fine. <laughs> Yeah, like because you've got nothing to learn. Yeah, yeah. you're done. Yeah, so go, like yeah, go and put yourself in a position where you're the idiot. Work till you're not the idiot. Then go to the next place where you are the idiot. Yep. And man, I've I've tried to hang on to that all the time, right? Like that's you, a martial arts theory too. Yeah, is don't train with people lesser than. Train with people that are harder and more complex. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's something Jessica gives me shit about all the time. She just calls it white belt shit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. that, that's just weight belt shit. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. You got to push forward. You got to, you got to be struggling all the time. And, and so as I was baiting you a while ago, like I, that's how I feel as well in my, I'm, I'm lucky now because people have heard of me a little bit and know that I like to train dogs to do things. And so a lot of my work now is actually people who are trying to get something done with their dog and then they're looking for help doing that. Mm. Um, but, you know, the, the truth of training pets is most of the time people want the dog to stop doing something. And and so I'm not passionate about that. I like training dogs to do stuff. And so if you get a run of clients that are just stop this, stop this, stop this, um, I come home and have my own dogs that I, I don't stop doing shit. I want them to do. I just teach them to do, to do, to do. And that allows me to keep my passion alive. And there was a small, I've only had a short window really ever where I didn't have after my original dog that sort of got me into dogs died, there was a just a few months where I only had Val and I wasn't training her to do anything really specific at that point. And I was I was a bit lost. Like I actually, that's where if, if I was going to talk about being burnout, that's where I, it wasn't a burnout thing, but I just didn't want to keep teaching dogs to not do things. And so I only took clients that wanted me to teach, help them teach dogs to do stuff while I had no dog that was I was able to channel that into. So I was only accepting people that were like, hey, I need help with this and I want to make this better rather than can you stop him doing this? Um, and it 
it, it allowed me to just keep that passion alive. And then it, I, what I found was the moment I got another puppy, uh, I could put all my drive into that and, um, and was able to go back to normal. Mm. So I think it's important to manage people, but yeah, that's, that's for me when training pets, it's, I, I feel like it's, you just, it's a stress relief to be able to then go out and do some, some higher end stuff with your own dog. Um, For sure. Let me ask you this, Glenn, because I, I, I mean, you have a lot more experience mentoring and coaching people than I would imagine Pat or myself have combined. So when Pat says he's like real lucky, part of me wants to like kind of call BS on that because as somebody in your position uh, who has mentored or coached, taught a lot of people, I don't think you would realistically be able to sell me on the luck factor for somebody like Pat, who has an insatiable thirst for the knowledge, is driven, is dedicated, makes it happen even when it seems like, ah, this is like not super important. That doesn't seem like luck to me. That That's like the best student, right? Pat's a bit of a different animal than most people that you would come across. He And I think that's why he succeeded in his career in, in the military and, and achieved a high status in the special forces is because they look for people like Pat. And I'm not saying that because he's my mate and everything like that. It's just a reality of a situation. Like when you're a, a commando, you're an elite force. They're looking for people that will push themselves, that are self-motivated. Um, yeah. So in those sort of situations – He's quite reflective of that in life. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I like hanging out with Pat for is he helps me refresh my thirst in in learning and knowledge and training. I mean, I would never have been in PSA if it wasn't for Pat. You know, he sort of came up with the concept of, hey, this is a new sport. Let's look at it. And it's kind of like finding the fountain of youth when you're with people like that because you start feeling young again and inspired and they're the type of people that help you fall in love with with training dogs all over again. And you occasionally see that with students. And don't get me wrong, I love working with teaching new students. It's really cool. And it's one of the things that does inspire me to keep going because you can start seeing people who are becoming passionate and starting to love something. It's something entirely new. It's something completely ostentatious to what they've done in their careers before. I mean, I've had people on the course that have done they're in deep academia sort of jobs. They're in science roles and so forth. And you're thinking, why would you want to leave that career? But for them, it's like I was talking about before. They've just found out that they're going to work with a shoveling shit day in, day yeah. out. They're doing the same thing, you know, head stuck in a microscope and taking notes and just observing. And they just want something different. They, But they, you can see them. They're just passionate. They're hungry all over again. So for people like Pat, it's good because they push you to be better than what you are. It's helped me. Oh, yeah, you, I, I think you you need to have those people around you. You know, whether it's whether it's Pat or or anybody else, and you know, I think that's one of the big things that a club brings. And I've not seen your club really train firsthand, but I've talked to you about it, and the way you talk about it is reminiscent of exactly what you're talking about with those key students. You're trying to cultivate as a, a bit of a micro community. And I think that's one of the big things that a dog training club has to offer potentially versus, uh, you know, just training on your own. Yeah. Well, so our club is is unique as well in that it's a dictatorship. Like we don't – it's not – there's no There's no shame around that either. Yeah, and we don't hide that. That's why we called it Iron Fist PSA mm, sure. in that – 
like this is how we want to train and we're only taking in people who want to train that way you're, you're welcome to start your own club you're welcome to come we'll help train we're not saying you can't be in our treehouse at all but you you can't live here you can come visit <laughs> but yeah and and, and it's not me, a spite thing it's not a no not at all there's it, no it, nastiness about it it's just like if if you decide one day that you're not committed to it then it's don't waste anyone's time including your own yeah and like i talk about this to anyone that will listen i you know, I truly think that the best form of government is a benevolent dictator and <laughs> that's what I'm prepared to be in the club. Like I really truly want the club to succeed and at the cost of all other bullshit. And, you know, there's long times in the club like I didn't even – like when Remy broke his teeth, I'm turning up everywhere. Can't do any bite work. He's staying in the fucking car doing nothing. Like we're turning up to all train together and I expect that of everyone else. If your dog's injured, you're still coming. That's part of it. Like we have attendance requirements. If you're not – if you miss more than one training session a month, you're up – you're eligible to be removed from the club. I mean, Jazz turned up the other day. She was as sick as a dog. She like literally had to drag herself off her off the couch that she'd been on for three days, and she came down and and got in a suit and trained dogs. And she yeah. was she was chronically she's ill, sick ass, and she gets nothing out of it. Like she doesn't just, have a dog. She just gets she just bit. Comes to help us. Yeah. <laughs> but as I say, like that is important for me to keep the passion alive because mm-hmm. I spend all day motivating other people. Like you know how it is. Dog training is a large part of. The, the problem is rarely the dog. It's it's getting the people to do the right thing. And then as a dog trainer, we are uh, a little bit life coaches having to convince people to change their Not lifestyle. a little bit, very much. Yeah, very much, right? And un, and we're unqualified to do so. We're, we've got to convince people, change your lifestyle, treat your dog this way and convince them like, hey, it's worth spending the 15 minutes a day broken into three, five-minute sessions to, to change the behavior of your dog and make him someone you like instead of someone you resent. Uh, love and resent is what I find a lot of people, the relationship they have with their dog. They love the dog. They, they're... they're they're going to keep it and that's why they're paying someone money to come out and in, interact with it for them. But they also resent the dog because it changed their life to a point that they're not happy with it anymore. So convincing people to put in the work and turn this dog into like take away that resentment for your own dog, keep, keep the love and keep the passion, but do the work to do it. We're constantly having to motivate people to do that. Mm. Uh, and I have zero interest in doing that in my own club. If I have to motivate you to do the work, you're in the wrong club. Now, that's just me. And that allows me to love coming out here. That's why on a Thursday when I come out here in the traffic and it takes me nearly two and a half hours to get here, I just accept it. Like, I'm like, well, this is it because I'm going out there. We're all going to work together. And we have that. Like, we have exactly that situation in the club. But it, I don't convince anyone to come. Like, if, if, if you don't want to come, then I don't want you there. Yeah. Simple. Right. But whereas clients, I'm like, come on, man, we got to train. Like, this is it. This is what we're doing because that's my job. Like, they're paying me to do that. That, that just reminds me of another old saying old mate Boyd told me once, which mm. was, if you don't want to be here, I don't want you to be here. Yeah, exactly. Mm. exactly. And it's like he had some really good life sayings like that that uh, I thought were relevant. And it's very relevant at Iron Fist. If you don't want to be here, then don't be here. Mm. You know, don't turn up and tell us it's hard or it's difficult or that you've got all these things going on in your life. I mean, that doesn't reflect on you as a person. And it certainly doesn't mean there's no compassion for you that you have got things going on. But it's not going to help you or us or anybody if it's a struggle to get there and, and you can't really do it. It'll only put more pressure on you. It creates more tension and nobody really needs that. So it's better to just come to terms at the end saying, guys, I'd love to do it. But right now is not a good time. And I think anybody listening, if you're in a club situation and you're finding yourself in that pickle, I guess, is just come clean with it. Just mm. reach out to the people and say, look, right now it's not a good. I need to take a bit of hiatus at the moment. 
go away, get my shit sorted out, and I'd love to come back. And as a supportive club, then you should say, when you're ready, come back. Mm. You know, but right now, yeah, it's a good idea. And if you need to reach out just as a human being, we're here for you. But as far as, as training dogs, it's not working at the moment. So, yeah, it's a good idea. Hey, Josh, what's yeah. stopping you starting your own club in Buffalo? Uh, I don't have the amount of knowledge I feel like I should have. Mm-hmm to bring people in and like, Hey, here's what we're going to do. I'm not saying I feel like I would do the world's worst job, but there's a lot better people out there. And I don't know the programs well enough to be able to like really give people sound advice. Mm -hmm. So I I guess ultimately that's the biggest thing that's, that's stopping me from, from making a club. Um, Do you want to, or you, you, uh, oh yeah, yeah. That's not- I, that's definitely my goal because I'm not a huge fan of driving hours to like go visit other clubs and stuff like that. Yeah. But in the meantime, that's that's gonna have to be what starts happening, uh, so that I can get in front of more dogs in a suit and learn the routines of the different different sports and and the programs associated with it. But really, it's just Buffalo is a freaking wasteland when it comes to dog sports in that sense. Yeah. You know, there's agility out the wazoo but you know there's a few bastions of people doing bite work out here that aren't specific to ipo but they're not going to work my dog right so the weather would be a big factor too wouldn't it i mean it's sure you'd be shut down for unless you had an indoor facility like there's pretty much five months of the year that would make it impossible if not very difficult to continue training well, I mean, it's our lifestyle, right? So it's it's definitely cold. We got to work in short bursts, but we're out year long. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's otherwise, you know, there's going to be a huge spike in suicide and depression, and uh, yeah. you know, like you're, if you're not getting outside at all in the winter time, it's it's going to be sad. But yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of stuff that you aren't going to have an easy time doing. Like try laying a track for IPO in the middle of February in Buffalo with four feet of snow on the ground. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's not going to be an easy going time. Yeah. You know, it's not to say that you can't do it, but you know, your dog's going to get wicked cold. So yeah, there's definitely some weather restrictions. Decoying, in, decoying in the extreme cold is really hard as well, you know, cause it, it's that you hard work. Yeah. So you can't rug up and then mm-hmm. you stop working. You, you're sweaty. Sweat starts freezing on you. It's fucking yeah. fraught with difficulty and danger. Oh, it's it's crazy tough. You know, the, at first you put the suit on, it feels all nice because yeah. you're warm and you're jumping around and you work two dogs and you're like, okay, well, I think I'm going to die now. Yeah, so, yeah extreme body temperatures. <laughs> isn't yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, no, I, th- I think it's 100% something that I'd like to make happen. Mm-hmm. Figuring out exactly what is going to be the best way to make that happen uh, is kind of what I'm dealing with now. So, you know, my, my immediate goals are, are to get my decoy certification, uh, in Mondio and or French mm-hmm. ring, because those are the closest sports to us. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's no PSA club around us as far as I'm, I'm aware, uh, without like a six hour drive. Yeah. Well, my little plug for PSA that everyone's listening is if you build it, they will come. You know what I mean? The, the, oh, for sure. The, yeah. the support from the headquarters is is unbelievable and immense. Um, that if you start a club, you just need three people. You sign up and they'll send someone. Like that's what I was just doing on the weekend was a club started here in Brisbane. So, you know, I fly straight up, 
start get them set up and I'll be supporting them along the way and getting it going, which is exactly what Sean's been doing for us coming all the way out here. So, but that's my little plug for PSA. And he's a, he's an awesome guy. You, he's not far from you. I don't think he's in Hershey. That's that's not far from you guys, is it? It's about six six hours. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah, it's far. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's a he's a wonderful I only know guy. That because I looked it up because you said you were possibly going to Hershey for a conference. I was like, oh, maybe I'll drive down there. Six hours, I can make that work. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if we're going to Hershey, but definitely going to IACP. So that's a hundred percent going to happen. It was ninety percent for a while, but it's a hundred percent now. I was looking at flights Dope. last night. Are you cool? Yeah, yeah. The whole family. I just bought my Excellent. tickets to Australia yesterday. Oh, fantastic, buddy! Yeah, no, we're so. Let's on that talk, topic, <laughs> yeah. Let, on that topic, uh, tell us what your um, what your plan is, like what your teaching goals are. You know, Forrest and I wanted to bring something to the table that I think was, you know, just a little bit different than than some of the more common seminars that that we've given. You know, like for a specific technique or a specific type of approach. We wanted to make sure that we were presenting something that we were both kind of passionate about and we were both, you know, felt was going to be a, a good way to connect with people with their dogs outside of just a either pet dog or a sport dog. So making sure that we're trying to bridge some of these concepts, you know, so there's a guy, Miyamoto Musashi, he's a swordsman in ancient Japan. One of the finest and, swordsmen around too. Yeah. And, and, one of the um, things and he makes a delicious protein bar. I was about to say that. <laughs> His ancient recipe yeah. passed down through the ages. <laughs> he said uh, in his book of five rings, when you know the path broadly, you will see the way in all things. Mm. And I think there's a lot of that in dog training that's kind of diverged to two different areas. Like I work with pet dogs. I work with sport dogs. Anybody who's been training dogs long enough will tell you that the dogs learn the same way, regardless of yep. if they think they're a pet or if they're a sport dog. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of things that the pet dog world does really well that perhaps sport dog trainers can learn from, mm. you know? Yeah. It's uh, definitely finding the balance or the best of both worlds. Yeah. And vice versa for sport dogs, you know, obviously motivating dogs and and motivating people to, you know, do the work is really important, but finding fun and doing that, I think is also important. So, you know, a big part of what we wanted to make sure we were doing is kind of hitting on both of those topics. You know, Forrest is, is been deep in the sport world for a very long time. And, you know, so I, I definitely kind of tip the scale to him when it comes to those types of things. And I know he's going to be, uh, presenting a lot of good information, in the sport world, I'm going to be able to present from the pet dog world, and uh, we're going to try and make sure we come together to give people kind of the best of both worlds from that. Yeah, it's going to be awesome, mate. It's it's generating a lot of hype already, so I think people are very excited to have, as I say to most people, it's having two A-listers in the room together at the same time. Oh, we're pretty stoked, man. We, uh, we've been talking on the phone about it quite a bit and uh, really been been pretty stoked to to bring what we got and hang out with a, a bunch of a rad folks, man. I, I honestly have to say, first time I came to Australia, there's the obvious, you know, culture shock or whatever you get from visiting somewhere as weird as where you live. But it was also something that really helped me, again, just stay passionate about the job or the, the career I've chosen. And being able to get around a bunch of people who are so 
ecstatic to just have the opportunity to, you know, bounce ideas off of you. It was really something that made me very impassioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a great thing. There's a lot of love for both of you guys. Oh, it's always the way. I mean, Australians are very appreciative of people who travel over here and are benevolent in their way of teaching. Like they, you know, when you've got people that travel over and they're passionate and not, uh, they don't arrive here with a bag of arrogance, which I have seen. I'm not going to shame or name anybody but I've, I've seen individual europeans come over here sometimes and they just come over here to tell people how not so much anymore but in the in the early days they used to come over here to tell people how terrible their dogs were and how terrible their training was and we know that we need to improve in things that's why we we were reaching out to people not to be sort of spanked for not knowing the information but to say to people hey you're here to help fill some of those gaps. And it's nice when people like yourself and uh, Forrest and any of the others, I mean, you know, like, as I said before, there's a range of people who have come over here and having that access to new information or variable information is just fantastic. It really is. I mean, we're so blessed that we have people that want to get on a long haul flight to come all the way over here, which is great because they get to experience Australia and get to see a whole new landscape but we also get to have access to the knowledge that they've been generating over that period of time so yeah we, we love it man we're really really enthusiastic excellent hey um how long well, are you, how long are you coming for i leave i think the 28th and i come home like the 16th or the, yeah, the 17th so what's on your list? Because third time around, so this is what we just faced with Sean here, right? Third time around, he's done all the tourist stuff. What are you going to do? What's your what's your what what could possibly you know, you be know left? You know he's a beer nerd, don't you? Yeah. Like hell yeah, well, this is what I'm baiting um, you into. <laughs> we've got to find yeah. exciting and new beers for him. He's a he's a craft beer man through and through. Yeah, yeah. Justin and Josh, Justin Hall, <laughs> who we met over there through Josh um, when we went to the ISCP. As soon as I arrived there, they basically said to me, so, dude, you know that we're both horrendous beer nerds. So, basically, we're going to find all the breweries around St. Louis and just camp there. And I said, let's do it. So, uh, yeah, I think that I think the only time that I was sober was when I landed back in Australia. Mm. <laughs> it was Glad awesome. It was so good. I had, I had an absolute ball with you guys. Uh, dude, I think about that trip fondly. I'm looking forward to uh, to Florida. Yeah. Justin and I are actually sharing a room this year, and we've got like a beachfront villa or whatever. So like right out the back door onto the beach. I'm pretty stoked on that. Yeah, we'll, that's going to be. We're going to get into trouble, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've got a um, uh, Josh, Justin, and I've got this constant thing going where we keep sending each other pictures of. We we went over to this restaurant and we had. It was called the Shaved Duck or something like that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, exactly. uh, the, the food was great. We were really, we we're having a good time. But I, I just, um, there were a couple of like things, like dishes to pick at. And I ordered this maple bacon and it arrived and we were all chatting and having a beer and talking about life in general, training dogs and just getting to know each other. And oh, I was getting to know Justin a bit more. So we were, started eating this bacon and all of us stopped talking going, is this the best bacon we've ever had? Like ever? <laughs> And like it was, it's like magic bacon. It's incredible. So even now we'll send each other memes of bacon, and it's like a cruel joke that we play on each other. But I've never eaten bacon like this in my life. It was like the best bacon in the world. See, my only aspirations to be rich 
uh, so that now I can say, well, let's, what are you doing this afternoon? Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's get, get on, on the jet plane. and go and get that bacon. That's the only reason I want to be rich, just to be I'll able to I'll see you guys there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, so as far as what am I going to do in Australia, to be perfectly honest, I'm not a tremendous tourist mm-hmm. uh, trap person. I think one of the most touristy things I have done in the past like five or six years was with Cookie and we went to the top of the arches in St. Louis. Um, yeah. In those tiny awesome. little cars. Yeah, with a bunch of uh, Kiwis actually. That's right. Yeah, we went all the way up there. We got up to the top of the arch and there were like six or seven Kiwi blokes up there. Nice. It's really weird because... Geez, they get around those Kiwis. Don't they? They're unbelievable. They just spread. <laughs> just turn up places. But um, it, it was really cool. We stayed in... Uh, what was the Soulage district or something like that, wasn't it? Where they have the... Um, yeah. Like the St. Louis Mardi Gras and everything like that. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. Josh and I just... He just flew in. I'd just flown in. We got up in the morning and just said, uh, hell, let's just walk into St. Louis. And it took us about two hours to walk in there. We were just chatting along the way and we just said cool let's go up in the arch and there's these tiny tiny little they're almost like little mini cable cars mm-hmm. that you get into and i mean they're tiny if you've got claustrophobia it's not a good idea to go up in the arch in st louis so it squeezes like four and i'm talking squeezes and especially big guy like me you know getting into those tiny little cable cars and uh yeah you just it cranks you all the way up the top and it's it's a tiny little viewing room with the most fantastic view of the whole state of St. Louis. It's pretty cool. Mm. So in my area, Josh, there's quite a few, like I live in the inner west, just outside the actual city. There's quite a few small breweries, right? And mm-hmm. what they, what they're, you know, craft beer breweries. And they get around a lot of licensing laws by, it's a brewery so you can have a taste. So they don't need a license to just sell you like 125 mil beer, right? So you can nice. go into these places and you buy these tiny little beers and you can, in, it, it's good in that way because you can try all their different beers. But then because they're not a licensed establishment, they don't have to have a kitchen, which also means that they don't have to keep dogs out. So you get these places, they're just fully shitty. Like you are sitting in the brewery. Like I'm not kidding, their bats are all around you and there's like a couple of tables that they just got like from laying around on the side of the street. And you can take your dog in there and you can have tiny beers. Um, so <laughs> the tiny beer brewery yeah well they're perfect they're awesome like batch and waywood um anyone in sydney sort of knows what i'm talking about so i reckon that we we need to find a day and get a bunch of dog training people out to go to one of these things and sit around with dogs and we'll see whose dogs are social as they say it is <laughs> and um and drink a bunch of tiny beers and, that doesn't and, sound fun at all. And you'll fit right in because you've got a beard you'll be able to make a top knot and if you bought a if you Bring a MacBook Pro or something like that. You'll fit right into where Pat lives. Yeah, and say you're writing oh, a screenplay. Perfect. Yeah, or writing a book. I'm writing my book. I'm here to use the free Wi-Fi. <laughs> I'm writing my book. I'm into it, man. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm not like a crazy, uh, you know, go do touristy stuff type of guy. But, you know, I got to go on a few hikes and things like that the last couple of times I came to Australia. Mm-hmm. My friend Kirsten... That super weird lady, uh, she took me up to the, to the Blue Mountains and uh, had time in my life, man. That lady is a riot. That's yeah, Kirsten cool. Keimling, yeah. Yeah she's, yeah, she's a lovely girl. With Benji Licklick. Benji Licklick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. She, uh, she cracks me up, man. Yeah, oh, yeah. She's, awesome. she's funny. She's got the most amazing outlook on life. She's always, I think she just sees the best in life. Yeah. Yeah, she's cool. Yeah, for sure. Hey, um, so, yeah. 
I'm down to do any of that nonsense. All right. So, so Sounds what's good. happening with since we're on the podcast show? What's happening with your podcast with Dave? Philosophers, uh, extreme, and, philosophers and madmen. Yeah, extreme sloth. Just to be perfectly honest, it's been a struggle for us to get the audio to a point that we like. Yeah, um, tell me about. I've, that was one of the things that I really had to work on hard. We've got terrible Wi-Fi in Australia compared to America. Like you go over there and you've got like what we call our NBN, which is super fast, but uh, that's yeah. everywhere over there. And uh, over here, it's, I mean, I've got the, I've got the sound worked out quite well now, but uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. So that, that's really the biggest thing. And we recorded a couple, you know, one of the last ones we recorded that I loved the conversation was with Mike Ellis and, you know, uh, he's a friend and we, we talk and we have a good time. It's, it's cool. Uh, but, the sound quality didn't really reflect well. Mm -hmm. And there was times where we'd be talking, it would be clear. And then Mike would start talking and be very low. And people were telling me they had to like raise their their volume up and down. Mm -hmm. Uh, And both Dave and I are like borderline imbeciles. So it's, it's been (laughs) tougher to figure that out, but we are, we are working on it. To be honest, we just, you know, sat down the other day and, and just kind of put out a plan to, to start getting ourselves back in gear. So it's not over for sure, but, I didn't want to be putting out mediocrity. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of it. Mm-hmm. And so, if I don't really like it, it it kind of saps my you, you, my motivation to put it out. Yeah. So you just realistically you just have everyone on an extremely variable reward schedule. You're keeping us <laughs> engaged. <laughs> That's it. Waiting at yeah. any moment to receive. Yeah, but upcoming think- soon, uh, we we are going to get back to recording, and ideally, we should be making it a little bit more regular i think people don't understand that how much work goes into a podcast like it, i certainly didn't until we started doing it and mm. when when glenn hit me up and said i oh, joined his podcast i was like yeah like you do that off your phone you it goes straight <laughs> to itunes away you go like no worries two thousand dollars later yeah we're looking at a two thousand dollar mixer and a bunch of microphones and glenn bought a bigger yep. microphone and intimidated me so i had to buy a, <laughs> a, an, as, an as big a microphone <laughs> And then you have a guest on, so you're like, okay, well, that's another microphone. another microphone. So we're sitting here with five microphones in front of us and riding into a $2,000 mixer. And then however long you talk for, you can basically double that in editing time. And New computer, uh, new laptop to run the software and yeah, software so to run it. I had no idea very, what was yeah. involved and to get and, – and like we're really happy with the sound, but that's all Glenn. So one of my one of my good mates, I was in the army with, wanted to start doing a podcast. And he goes, hey, man, I just want to bounce some ideas off you. And I said, let me tell you what I know about podcasts podcasting you turn up you sit down you talk and you walk away and your buddy that does it does all the rest of it because i don't know shit (laughs) so you should just get dave onto that and then you'll be fine no that's a negative uh that's a hard no dave is not trustworthy Uh, (laughs) can't leave that in his hands uh he's he's one of my best buddies but no it'll just be an hour and a half of him talking to his dog or something. Hey, well, when you when you are here in Australia, I'm happy to show you through what we're doing. So I, oh, it, dude, yeah, I insist. Yeah, I'm more than happy to sit you down. I've sat a few people down to show them what it's all about. And it was just, for me, it was a lot of reading and a lot of online courses on how to get it all together and how to make the sound. Even like just to get the Skype to come through, I had to buy a certain type of mixer that would allow the Skype to go back through the mixer. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, but 
to be honest, it was a new thing that I was learning. It was a new passion. Yeah, I could uh, see you were having fun. Yeah, I was. I was actually having fun in the technical aspect. It was very frustrating at the start and it was pissing me off. But once I sort of started to get my head around how to actually get it working, you know, I was getting more excited. I was saying that Pat would come around and I'd say, mate, I finally got the Skype working. Because we were really looking forward to getting people from like international guests on the show and, and uh, having it sound good. And uh, we're finally at that stage where we can record a decent show and it sounds good and the, the volume's good and it's working quite well. But it's just a matter of engineering it and uh, doing your post-production. Yeah, so like I said, it, it's 100% stuff that we're still really interested in making happen and we've we've been taking some steps in the right direction, I feel. And we've done a couple things where we've recorded and put some stuff together, but it just wasn't the content that I wanted to put out. And, you know, you guys, I'm sure know how that is. Sometimes either you record something and it just isn't necessarily a message that jives with, you know, kind of what you want to put out. And, you know, uh, from that perspective, then, you know, we just have to kind of make sure we, we try harder next time and and make it work. Yeah, we were, I think there's probably about half a dozen times we've sat down to do a podcast on shit people in the industry. (laughs) (laughs) She just had a mad rant at each other. Let me tell you about this other guy. Okay, delete that. I've got that out of my system. (laughs) Yeah, I think sometimes we just need to talk about it and then go, yeah, Yeah. I think that'll pretty much set fire to the world. So let's just get rid of that. Yeah. Well, I'm keen when you and Forrester here, we want to do like a panel sort of uh, big group, one of the nights of the seminar, if you guys are keen on that. Drink some beers and talk some shit and get whoever's there a drunk podcast and, that'll be interesting well drunk tipsy you know like, whatever I, I am no gonna pants. I am gonna organise to stay here so yeah it'll be it'll be fun that's for sure we'll see if we can make your ear turn red again yeah that was weird <laughs> that time wasn't it? that was so weird that's another story alright I reckon we wrap it up what do you reckon yeah Josh yeah, that sounds good uh, is there any you. other is there any closing message you wanna you want to talk about before we wrap the show I don't think so, man. I'm, I'm really stoked to come down and, and visit you guys again and get an opportunity to share with a bunch of wacky Australians. And uh, I just hope that you got my bed ready, man. Yep. Already, buddy. Already and sorted for you. So um, nice, comfortable bed. We're going to be... I'm, I won't be in it. So that's, um, that's this, a plus. Not the first night. Not, not the first time. We'll save that for when we get back to the IACP. <laughs> I was going to say, don't don't get my hopes up unnecessarily. <laughs> so, yeah, it's going to be cool, man, because it's like, so it's going to be here in August and then in September, mm-hmm. we're going to be hanging out again, all of us again in the ISCP. And we yeah. plan to be bringing the mixing gear and the mics over as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to be chatting in uh, Florida when we're over there. So, I've got the Pelican case ready. It's all got ready the Pelican to go in. case. So, yeah, everything's going in and we're coming over and we're, we're planning to be doing shows and interviews over there. So, Glenn, before we say goodbye to Josh, how do people buy tickets? to the seminar so we've got uh, that all they need to do is contact me we've got a facebook site set up and we've got it set up on eventbrite as well mm-hmm. so the tickets are basically easy to very easy to purchase message me i'll get you onto the facebook site that we're running for josh and forrest when they're out here so they're out here three four five of august forrest is going to be doing half a day josh is going to be doing half a day each on the Saturday and Sunday, and then they're both going to be doing combined working dog session on Sunday. So Sunday is more about bite development and bite sports, Mm -hmm. and the others are going to be socialization, behavioral work, and motivating and obedience. Sounds good. Am I right in that, Josh? Yes. Yeah. And we're looking forward to it, mate. There's a flying down my big, big, bright pink bite suit. uh, Awesome. Bring your suit. Awesome. Yeah. 
me and my dog will, will see you. <laughs> Excellent. Look forward to it. All right, man. Thanks very much for coming on. I uh, really appreciate giving up your time and chatting to us. We appreciate it. I'm sure listeners appreciate it as well. And that is it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you're uh, hearing, jump online, rate, subscribe, share, tell a friend, and do that through whatever subscription service you get us from. And if you want to get in contact with us, do that via Facebook. We are the Canine Paradigm on, on Facebook. If you want to find out about the seminar and you can't contact Glenn directly, just shoot us one over at the Canine Paradigm. We'll be able to send you the link and everything through that. And apparently uh, we're the Joe Rogan of Canine Podcasts. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Who said that? I don't know. Who it was, was it was written on our on our reviews. I'm going with it. That'd be one I'm of my claiming mates. It. That'd be one of my <laughs> it was mates. Probably it's probably Neurel. Yeah, well yeah. <laughs> it's it's it, well it could have been me under a pseudo, you never know, but it's legit and we're, um, we're claiming it. When when we first released it we got a couple of like, you know, five-star reviews on, on iTunes and Glenn's like, oh, we got these reviews. They're doing really well. I said, this tells us less about our podcasting skills, more about our friends. <laughs> we have friends that are willing to take five minutes to help us out. Not so much that people are like, wow, that's really good. I but should the good that. thing is, is now we're now actually we getting do. legit ones. Now like we we're get getting, legit ones, We're yeah. getting legit ones from show fans, which yeah. is, is awesome and always appreciated. Yes. All right. That's it. Glenn, music, please. <laughs>